Kia ora and Gordon Orvin from Today Radio, Studio 4 in Kirchberg, the headquarters of Let's Talk Sport Show. 150, my good old mate. Money. Bring me the money. 150 shows. Hell of an achievement. Oh, I should shake your hand. There we go. 150. Handshake, handshakes all around because we well have got a. Actually, better yet than a handshake. Do you know what Anton should give us? Thumbs up. Thumbs up. <laughs> yeah. If you know, you know. If you know, you know. If you know, yeah. If you have to ask, you can't afford it, big man. Wasn't that a fantastic <laughs> shirt that Anton had last week? It was. It was amazing, wasn't it? Alan, Thank you. Alan. Can we just change your name to Alan? Oh, Alan. Alan. <laughs> no, you fat Jesus. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Not only that, we have got a man that deserves to be on here for, straight away for a 150 show. Anthony, Anthony Paris. Ant- Anthony, you've probably been in for a good half of them, I would say. Fair more, later. well, yeah, Excellent. more. Wow. As always, <laughs> as always, this uh, Wednesday show has more of a local sports theme, and um, we've got Anthony in to give us his roundup um, on what's been going in the BGL league. But also, the I guess the uh, the great news that. Luxembourg's journey to the Euros is not quite over yet, so we'll have a bit of a discussion about that. But as always, we start things off with sport in the world today, you know, and also the uh, the significance of uh, 150. I think the most important one, British Lion number 150, Ooh, is a player called Tuan Jones. So where's he from, Anton? <laughs> with a name like Jones, but... <laughs> Wales, down in the valley, down in the valleys, but and he was on the 1908 tour to New Zealand. Um, here's one for you 29th of November, um, in 2021, um, Lionel Messi won his record seventh, um, Ballon d'Or, and Alexia Putelas from Barcelona also won the World Player of the Year. In 1976, New York Yankees signed a free agent, Reggie Jackson, to a five year contract. Pretty low key, but as I was doing the research, this guy has an outstanding display of facial hair in his photo with the handlebar, so I thought it would be appropriate to include him. Nice. It was nice. Um, In 1971, you've got the first pro golf championship at World of Walt Disney. Um, In 1956, Chris Brasher became the first Briton to win an Olympic gold medal in track and field since 1936. Now, if we rewind back to 1936, that was obviously the olympics which was in germany Germany. which was overseen by adolf hitler and obviously that has then moved on to uh well a a vast amount of history uh, in in that period of time you've also got 1926 tris speaker resigned as the manager of the cleveland indians and he was facing accusations of match fixing which is going to be one of our topics which we're going to talk about um, over the uh, over the course of the show today, a few birthdays for you: Ryan Giggs, nineteen seventy-three, and unfortunately, um, the birthdays of two people from the world of uh, cinema who have now moved on. In uh, Chadwick Boseman, who is obviously um, the Black Panther actor, absolute legend in the Avengers series. But the other one, Nathan, <coughs> um, you might recognise, uh, is Tom Sizemore. Obviously, he was in Saving Private Ryan. Um, was also in oh, what do you call it Point Break with Keanu Reeves okay. and stuff like that Black Hawk um, Down Black Hawk Down this guy had a, he had a really bad um, problem with uh, drugs and alcohol and in the later part of his career he actually had to sign agreements where he would be tested to make sure he was sober on, to, on, uh, on, on set when on he set. was in his movies and stuff like that um, but yeah. they should probably do that a bit more often though. yeah you'd think so but 
Yeah. By the way, just he was also in Pearl Harbor, which means he did Saving Private Ryan, Black Hawk Down, and Pearl Harbor. Arguably I think the he three, had a, three greatest wow. war movies, you know. Apart from Lord of the Rings. Obviously, that war movie. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. count it. <laughs> it's got well, enough battle scenes. But uh, we've got a couple of hot topics this evening. You know, the first one for me is uh, obviously match thickening. Is it still happening? We've got quite a few examples of what been going on, of what has been going on, sorry. But then the other one is, is there too much international sport at the moment? Now, the reason I've put this in there tonight is because... India played against Australia in a T20 international straight um, after the five days five days after the ODIs after the World Cup final they played another international cricket match and I get that it's not the same group of players I get that but ultimately it's the same punters who are having to fork out X amount of money to go and watch these We've games, regularly had this conversation, haven't we? And it's not it's not going to go away. But before we really dive into that, I would like to tee up Mr Perez, who's going to give us the BGL roundup and then also the big news coming out about the next, uh, hopefully the next two or three steps to Luxembourg's okay. European uh, football journey. Anthony, great oh, to have you back. Thanks, thanks, thanks. And how do we say... Ladies first, starting off with Racing in the Women's League, being dominant again as they send Young Linster home with a 7-0 score. Karin Kaur, who has already 31 goals to her name, scored five of them. I think Kate Steele's record is slowly shaking. The record with 59 goals. You said that last year with Amy Thompson. and I'm she, saying she this for two years straight, but you know, if you look at Karin Kaur, she's like scoring every game like f- three, four goals. It's, it's really crazy. Um, Hasbrons keep a bit of hope for the title as they cross Tifedos 4-0. Both games, Antons WMG and Rospo and Mama against L have something in common. WMG and Mama both won with a 5-1 score. Finally, Dickers celebrated a away win against Betambur with a 2-0 score. The table is becoming clear for the playoffs. There's an 8-point gap between the 4th, the 5th and the 6th place. In the top 5, we've got Racing, Esplanche, Mama, WNG and L. For the first time since September 2017, Racing Trois Vierges finally won a league game as they beat but as they beat Arthur Bisson 2-1. And no, it's not like they've been playing for 60 years straight and not winning. It's because since 2018, they have been registered uh, in the league and then they've now restarted in the third oh, division. Okay. Welcome back, Racing Toivier. Congrats to them. Now, moving to the big part with the Bijel League. New week, same speech. Defendance remained the leader in the Bijel League after their 1-0 win against Rospo. Lamas scored the winning goal. They are followed by Dudelange, who are getting more and more in shape, also won by the titles of Mindjits, 1-0. The old man, Sami Haji, was the match winner. Schifflange comes out as the winner in the game between both promoted teams against Mersch. The guests took the lead, but Garros and Enetier, both players with a lot of experience in the Bijel League, scored and turned the game around as it ended 2-1. Nidakon showed no mercy against Mondov as they won 3-0. Mondov are now on a direct relegation place. Miru predicted Mondov going in the top five this season. You know, my predictions. Let's move on. Mixture performed well in that game with a brace. Fola Ash celebrates the third win in a row without losing, actually. Against Monovich, they drew 2-2 but remain on the last place. Vils and Kajeng also drew before Kony gave Vils the lead. Uh, after. 
Uh, Corny gave Vils the lead. It was Garnier who scored a late equalizer for Kerzing. Racing was the better team against Truassen and celebrated a 2-1 win. And finally, Esperance sends Jeunesse deeper into the crisis as they defeated them 2-0. Looks like the, the trainer change didn't show its fruits yet, but let's see how they're going to perform against lower place teams. What do you know? But what do you know about the new trainer uh, or the new trainer, the new coach, as you say, at Esperance? What do you know about him? Um, no, uh, Roland Vrabek has been trainer at Niederkorn and has been sacked. I think he was there for one year, but he's got some, he's got some skills. Let's see now how he's going to perform with Hasbrunch, but he's got a pretty good first game and let's see how he's going to perform. In I mean, it's pretty, I, I read that it's, it's only, he's only until the end of the year. That's his yeah, contract, yeah, yeah, that's, just the end of the year, you know? Let's see, but I think if he's going to perform well with the team, he's going to, his contract see extended, so. Yeah. Is it, is it one of those things with Hasbrunch? Is it a case of, you know, yes, they want to win the league again or are eyes already on the European football because there are more spaces up for grabs in European football this year, aren't there? I, f- I think European football is always the main, uh, the main, um, the main goal. Yeah. But I think winning the title... <laughs> Also remains one of their main, one of main, one of their main goals because they are Swift Asperance and they're gonna fight for the title every year. It's not only European places, of course, it's important, but they want to play Champions League, not only Conference League. Yeah. So I think the if if it was only for the Conference League, they wouldn't have sacked the trainer. I'm yeah. sorry, but they're still in third place with some gap between them and the fifths. I think they're really uh, looking for the title still yeah. this year. Okay, right. More importantly, let's get on to the national team, yes. the FLF. What's going on here? It's official. On the 21st of March, Luxembourg will face Georgia for the semi-finals of the Nations League playoffs. Good news, Kvisha Kvaraskelia is suspended. Bad news, the game is played in Georgia. Ooh. Uh, nevertheless, if Luxembourg uh, manages to win the semi-final, they're going to play the final in the Stade de Luxembourg. It's going to be sold out. Oh, has that already been For, confirmed? Yeah, yeah it's, sure. it's confirmed. It's confirmed. Uh, the winner of the Georgia Luxembourg game is going to play the final at home. That's official. Okay. Uh, and who would that be? Against, who would that be? Either to Greece be? or Kazakhstan. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Well, Greece are no strangers to European football and success. They've, they've won it back they in did, the day, didn't right. they? More recently. It's a big upset, wasn't in, it? 2004 against Portugal. Yep, yep. And they've now recently played 2 2 against France, so it's not an opponent. I, I think even Kazakhstan or Greece, we should underestimate them because both teams had um, didn't qualify for like for for literally, you know. Nonetheless, would still be would still be up for this scrap, surely. Yeah, sure, At home sure. if if we get there. Yeah, yeah, because a lot of people are talking that yeah, we're already looking yeah. for the final. You gotta win we the st- first we, game. we still have to get we have we still have to beat Georgia. Okay, they don't have the star player from Napoli, but it's still they're not there for nothing. Why know? why yeah. is he not playing? Is he injured he's, or he's suspended. Okay, because he's got too many yellow cards. And some people are saying, yeah, but at the Nations League semifinals the yellow cards are like erased. No. You know, it's um at the at the start of the game, the yellow cards are erased, but before they still count. Oh, okay, okay. But I'm right in thinking Luxembourg will have someone suspended as well, won't they? And Zanani because yeah. he's got the straight red against uh, Liechtenstein was was kind of lucky, you know. It, you see, it was intentional, but uh, it's kind of so. It wasn't unlucky, was it? If it was, uh, if it was intentional, <laughs> unintentional, unintentional. Maybe. But uh, what are your hopes then? I mean, there's a long, there's a lot of football to be played between now and now and then. Is will Luke Holtz get the boys in a lot longer will they get to play a match again before this window or is that I, I don't know because I think that there is no international football until there so yeah. I think uh, there, won't, there, won't be, there won't be any game but I think like Slovakia it's going to be 
two if we if we go through two biggest games of the Luxembourgish football history, there's there's no doubt about it. Can you imagine Luxembourg qualifying for I think nonetheless you've got a dream, right? You've got a dream. I'm still a long way to go. go Germany if, if Luxembourg well, qualifies. That's what I was about to hit onto yeah. was it can you imagine if they did qualify because the uh, the tournament is then actually played next door, so I think yeah. you know if they did, they'd certainly get a decent. Uh, Look, they they play in Cologne. It's like two hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah decent, a decent following. Um, I was reading about that. There's another uh, sort of Portuguese Luxembourger on the radar at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a long story. He's he played like for under under national team for Luxembourg. Then he decided to go to the under national team for Portugal, but hasn't played a single game for the uh, for the A national team. Uh, he's playing currently at Monza in the city A, where he's playing uh, pretty decent, you know. Uh, Luke House is now talking to him like to to get really that striker that we need for, like for three four years now. We there, we've got a lot of experience experiences with just Rodriguez, Alessio Curci, Zinani, Borges. But we we haven't we don't have this number nine like we had well, like we used to have with Dave Turpel, Aurelia Joachim. Um yeah we've got we've got a good attack with uh, with fast players like I said just Rodriguez even Borges we, we need that player that uh, that inside of of the box player which always there when you did him he's at the right, right place at the right time some number nine like Harry Kane Eli Carlock not like the same uh, like the same level but you know, it's the same player type you know? did Harry Kane score on the weekend yes against Köln 1-0 they won actually yeah, just uh, jumping back to that do you think if Luxembourg could qualify for this major Europe major tournament European championships obviously would that attract more players to come and play for Luxembourg Surely. who might you know might be on the radar because I know that's a big carrot for a lot of a lot of those players who maybe aren't for whatever reason reaching the top level national teams is there anybody else like that on the radar that you've heard uh, of at the moment there isn't player we haven't uh, talked about at all and I've <laughs> I, I, I forgot his name. He's playing currently in Lithuania, and some funny story. He won the uh, Lithuanian Cup while being while playing for a second division team, like a bit like Mersch in Luxembourg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we interviewed him, and we asked him like if we if he would get a call from Lukas if he would be interested to go there. And he said he's um, he's studying, or he's learning German at the moment. If he could have the opportunity to play for Luxembourg, and his name is Enrique Devens. So oh, what you've already spoken to him then? Would they? Would, yeah, 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 yeah. We 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 we, uh, we literally did an interview with him, and uh, he's he's a pretty chill guy. <laughs> Where's it? How? What's his connection to Luxembourg then? Um, uh, his his grandmother uh, is from Luxembourg, which gives him uh, the double nationality. Yeah, with, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, with Luxembourgish. Oh. And he's playing, and he's playing actually in the offense. So it would be a good, uh, a good investment. You could, you could, you could be a scout for uh, Luke <laughs> Holtz, you know. I hope you're listening to us. Just, just, just take him, give him a chance. Absolutely, um, Anthony. Always, always insightful as always to hear what's going on in the uh, the inner workings of uh, of Luxembourgish football. And um, yeah, keep us up to speed. And uh, yeah, fingers crossed. We would, uh, fingers we'd crossed. love to get to a match in Germany. But there's a couple of big games ahead of us before we can. Yeah, we, we can uh, we can start looking at those, you know. We've got actually also the women's national team is playing uh, next two weeks or two weeks against uh, Lithuania. Uh, well, talking about Lithuania against Lithuania and uh, Georgia. And Lithuania is going to be played at home. Where will that be played? Not at the in Diffedons. In Diffedons, okay. That's on the what date's that? The on the fifth of December. Fifth exactly. of December. Okay. Uh, on on four p.m. I don't know why so early. Well, people are still working. working. I don't on a Tuesday. It's very questionable how how they choose the dates for, for the games, you know. If you do it on Tuesday, why not like at 
Seven o'clock, eight o'clock. Yeah, yeah. Well, so one would think it would be up to the, the, the hosts would determine that time. No, would they not? You, you would I, think I, so. I don't know how they, they do. do when you play rugby in Maybe France. They're they trying they to, tell you to play I don't Maybe. know how to organise it. but They're probably trying to cut back on the floodlights and stuff yeah. like that. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that one from before last year? <laughs> stopping but, the sure. and stuff let, like that. Let's switch this. We'll be there. Uh, yeah, good, boy, always, good, good boy, good boy, good boy. I know. Well, Pete, you hit me with an absolute humdinger there um, earlier on when you were talking about the... Uh, there's a bit of uh, bit of bagarre between... I know this is meant to be our domestic sports show, but this one cropped up. So very interesting, and we'll, we'll lead into it. But essentially what's happened is Australia played a questionable test match prior to the Rugby World Cup against France. Well, it was a warm-up It, it was a bit of an odd one. It was an odd in, one. In the rugby. It was an odd one. Mm-hmm. It was an odd one. And oddly enough, what has happened is a chap who is in hot water, shall we say, with the world of sport and the French Federation, old Bernat Laporte, Mm -hmm. he has apparently agreed with the CEO of uh, Australia Rugby that if they came and played a warm-up, they would get a million euro from it. Now, he's been, uh, who's since been at uh, McLennan, he's since been... Uh, ousted. Let's there say, was it's no, fair to say. there was no paperwork to do with this apparently, and also it was done on a handshake. I mean, Mate, what the, what the hell is going on? It stinks of rugby, yeah. doesn't it? Well, it stinks. So of, well, it, 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 attach Laporte's name, and then you attach it with a guy that's just being uh, the door. Just being, yeah. Yeah, just being put out the oh, door. A million, and, a million euro on a handshake. But that's like ridiculous. That's Does that really happen in professional rugby? Is professional rugby? Really that bad? I mean, I know you've you've been mentioning it for the last twelve months. How you know we've had wasps um, going into administration. Who else? Was it London Gloucester? Irish. Was it Gloucester? Was no, it, it was London Irish, and it was Worcester. Worcester, exactly. Worcester, we London Irish, admi- and administration, and we wasps. knew, and and I, and I believe Northampton Saints struggling well, a little no, bit. So I think there was news a couple of weeks ago. Scott can correct me if I'm wrong. There was news a couple of weeks ago that there was another club that was struggling. And then recently, something came out saying that Northampton um, were about a million pound down at the end of last season. Whether I don't know for what reasons, but they're basically they're in financial trouble as well. I don't know if those two articles are related, and the team that they reckon might be going down next is Northampton or what. But it it's a fairly big coincidence that um, that both of them. Um, one article comes out saying there might be a potential club going down, and then a couple of weeks later, Northampton come out saying we struggled last year financially. I mean, it's it's for me, it's crazy. Why are they keeping these salary caps so so high? Actually, shouldn't they be trying? Shouldn't like England rugby trying to take a? I guess they've got no say. It's not like the New Zealand rugby system, is it? Is it well, here, but here is here. I'm going to throw some numbers at you. Okay, so as things stand. Premiership Rugby is apparently half a billion pounds in debt, okay? Wasps, they obviously went under. They were £112 million pounds, um, in debt. Bristol, oh, 51 million. Saracens, 40.8. Bath, 37.8. London Irish, who have obviously now become liquidated, they were 37. Um, Harlequins, 33. Um, Newcastle, who are um, viewed as arguably the smallest team, of 32 million. Um, Sale Sharks, 30 million. Leicester Tigers, 30 so million. So these Saints, guys are all Saints in, in are debt. one of the lower ones, 26.5. Um, Exeter Chiefs are only 13 um, million in debt. 
But um, Worcester Warriors debt was only 30 million as well. But they've obviously, you know, people have, have come in and, and bailed them out and stuff. But fundamentally, there is something wrong with the, the game of rugby. And I think you've, you, you, you can't skirt around this, this professionalism, you know, just because you get paid you know doesn't mean uh things stay the th- stay the same you know if you're if you're being if you're being paid for something you're accountable for something so yes you know they need to be run like businesses obviously and businesses are about making money yeah and it's, that's I mean, that, that's but, not how these premiership clubs are being run it's, and it's, that's it's, why they're in this pickle extremely old school from from like a, a outsider, outsider outsider's point of view it seems very old school the way these clubs are run it doesn't seem like um, they're being run like businesses. It seems like they're being run like rugby clubs are now making money. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's like someone's hobby. You know, yeah. someone wants to put in a bit of cash into the into the rugby and go down and have a box or whatever it might and be. But ultimately... Got, the, the sport must have money. The people that watch the game have money. Well, fundamentally, it's a different yeah. model. You know, when you compare it to New Zealand, everything feeds into New Zealand. But the super rugby franchises are, you know, ultimately responsible for themselves um and you know it's quite interesting because i would imagine the the, the, the unions also feed into yeah exactly but you know the the all blacks have sort of oversight over everything now we know super rugby isn't what it was you know you're not getting the crowds in because you know the all blacks obviously attract the big the big crowds whenever they're playing the super rugby teams don't and you're going to try and so you've got to try and bring that money in in elsewhere. And you talk about having. Oh, I'd just be interested to go and sit down and talk to somebody about this because, you know, you've got arguably the best players in the world playing in in New Zealand, and you would think that their salaries would represent that. But even when you talk about guys like Dan Carter and Richie McCaw back in the day, they weren't earning huge money no. for playing in New Zealand. And it's more a case of. You, you grow up and you want to play, play for the All Blacks or, or play for your for Super Rugby or whatever it might be. But that's all well and good. But, you know, you're only going to get, I don't know, 200 grand a year. That's yeah. what you get for an All Blacks contract. And you're like, you know, whereas you could go to France and you could triple, quadruple, you know, times it by five. How do you say that is? Is it fair to say that Japan, which have a quite a strict policy on how many imports they can bring into their setup or into their franchises, could you call them, or clubs. Um, but France and Japan lead the way in terms of absolutely in terms of their, I mean, uh, organized leagues and uh, what we what, of what we know. Yeah, I mean, again, we're only going off what we can read. But my understanding of the Japanese league is there's an, only a number of uh, foreigners that you can uh, bring into your team. You know, a country like. Uh, you know, best team in the world, South Africa. They benefit from other countries wanting to Im- bring Safas over to play for them. Yeah. It would how would that affect South African rugby if all those players couldn't go off and join all these other clubs do and stuff like the, that? They play the if you've played over. They, do they play? No, there's nothing. There's, there's no, nothing, mate. You can play wherever you want as a Safa, can't you? I mean, you, I so when um, when I was in Swansea. Uh, and I was helping out with the the coaching, uh, with the managing there. The the Ospreys they would ask the uni to basically get the South African clubs that are in the RSC. They can train at the uni before they go and play the Ospreys. And I think the Lions came over, the Stormers came over, whatever. And I was buzzing to help out because I was like, oh, I'm going to see all these, you know, Springboks. And then I realised to myself, there's no, there's barely any Springboks that are really playing for these South African clubs. If you think about the 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 23 that won the World Cup. 
they're all abroad. They're either in England, they're in France, they're in they're in Ireland. They they they're, they're where the money's at because they're just there wasn't any money in South Africa, so there was a, a mass exodus of South African players that have left. I've just watched a video recently as well, which was I found quite interesting. It was about the viewership um, that came out of the the World Cup compared to the amount of viewership for their respective leagues per country. So, for example, New Zealand, how many viewers watched the All Blacks at the World Cup compared to how many viewers watched Super Rugby, right? So, for example, for New Zealand, they have 1.5 million people watching the game, um, the the World Cup final game for them against the South Africans, whereas they get about 200,000 watching Super Rugby. With France, they, they're actually doing the best. Um, relatively, they had 16.5 million people watching the uh, their last game in the World Cup and they have about 5.8 so a third watching their league which is quite good then you look at England they have 9 million watching the World Cup and only 1 million watching their league so they get one ninth of the, the the fan base watching the club there's not enough attention on on club rugby the, the fans don't seem to really yeah, when I said on TV, I think they've done it quite well in terms of the stadiums yeah. that they're playing in are not big stadiums. They're only, what, 10,000, yeah, 5 what, to 10,000 yeah. stadiums. They're, sm- they're small and they, yeah. they fill them. They, and when I watch a Friday night game, most of them are full. But, I mean, I just, I don't think... compare it to 80,000 to Twickenham. Obviously, COVID has had a massive impact on the amount of people. Um, I specifically looked at uh, data on, on the premiership for, for my dissertation. But there's... Um, due to COVID, obviously, there was a massive drop in spectators. Obviously, they weren't allowed to go to games. But even post-COVID, there's been a massive backlash of, of people that don't go, that aren't coming back to watch the games. Bless your cotton socks, Scott Brown. There's, 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 a, there's a large, there's large numbers of uh, clubs that are struggling to get money from attendance. Um, so they're, they're relying heavily on this the, the TV deals and stuff. And well, this is more in the Northern Hemisphere, but I th- yeah. think that on a global, on a big global picture, there are many issues with rugby, um, you know, that go both on the field dynamics and then obviously the broader financial concerns as well. There's problems in the in the game, and that means that, you know, like, and I'm talking about the slow the slow pace, the increasing of the red cards, yellow yeah. The, the cards, the transparency in, in some of the decision-making, um, the retiring of, of referee Wayne Barnes, he suggested change such as implementing a shot clock on, on, on line-outs to address these issues. There's there's many. And then just recently, in fact, I think I read a, uh, one of the referees has come out and he has said that he would like to see... What was it changed? Oh, I don't have my phone with it. Something that he was wanting to see changed... In world rugby, it it'll press, come to me. Press conferences. Yes, that is exactly what it is. Well I done. Thought, Had a, 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 a read really well. Like referees never get to come out and say. So we're, we're talking about like, yeah. referees, referees after a game. They'll have a press conference. So for any big decisions that were, no, but they're able to say, "Yeah, I think I made. I think I made a mistake on that." Well, now, if I they're think, able to say that, the uh, uh, look, you, but would that help? I think so. Yes, would because we be, can excuse human error. I think it's uh, for me. I I read it and there was a lot of positivity. People call it there, as they there, see it. There man. was a lot of positivity for me. It would be nice to get more clarity around decisions that maybe they don't think they got wrong. So they make a decision. Half the people say that's a rubbish decision. I don't agree with that. I don't know what you're seeing there. The referee can come after the game and say, look, um, what we believe is this player is doing this and that, and we believe because of that we should have given this or whatever, and that's what we did, right? Maybe that's that's good. But I just think it's more fuel to the fire. I think. 
getting referees to then say, oh, I did this wrong or this is why I did this. I just don't think it's going to help that much. Just bouncing back to a point, we uh, I was just gone quiet there and doing a little bit of research. So I've pulled up the South African squad from the Rugby World Cup final. Okay. And I will say to you the players that play in South Africa. Okay. Valimsa, fullback. Kurtley Lee Aransa. Okay. Sia Khaleesi. He's in rushing. Well, he, he, he went there after the World right. Cup. Okay. Okay. Um, Beth, but obviously he's been playing a yacht, lot in. Too um, long. Um, yep. Um, and then Moshtar, he's been playing in Japan. Malherb, uh, Bongim, Bambi, and Kitchoff. So five of the starting 15 play in South Africa. How many of the bomb squad, the bench, play in South Africa? trying to think who they are now I mean at least one of them's in Racing well three Vincent, of them Vincent three of them no he, he wasn't Marks. on the bench he wasn't on the bench for this one so Dion Fury okay he yeah. plays in South Africa Oxnish okay and then the only other one is Willie LaRue the rest of the bench Trevor Nakane Racing Metro Jean Klein Munster RG Stamen Munster yeah. Quagga Smith Japan Jasper Visa Leicester Tigers yeah. So only eight. You see, you see my point, though. Oh, that's yeah. mad, isn't it? And that's the, the here. This takes away nothing from their achievement of going back yeah. to back in the Rugby World Cup. Do you know what I mean? But just uh, very, um, yeah, very insightful, isn't it? Very. I mean, you could really. I mean, if anything, it's it's even more incredible that you've got so many uh, different clubs being represented in one team, and then they play so well together. I mean, you've got players in France, in Ireland, in England, in South Africa, and then they all come together. Whereas, for example, for the England squad, it's only clubs in England, which means they're playing with at least one or two other teammates. There's connection. completely different, isn't it? Exactly. As I said, this is our uh, domestic show, so we will obviously be focusing. I say only focusing, but we do love to go off on a tangent, don't we? You know, just... Uh, get cracking on and basically what's going on because there's always something always always, new, always something. new uh i mean as we started off at the start of the show i'm quite eager to hear how this progresses with uh bernard laporte because he's naughty naughty you know so it'll be interesting to see what happens off the back of that and then obviously australia sacking their ceo and then this comes out as well but anyway on a more local sort of theme uh we've got the men's basketball results from the weekend you've got doodle they prevailed over Steinzel 97 to 84 musel pikes triumphed by two points over cordell steelers and then you've got lara who beat uh grengevold 92 to 81 sparta turned over residence wolfenange 90 99-90. That's one of the big upsets, I think. Yep. Wolfenon's been setting the pace this year. Yeah, a few Americans in there uh, raining down some threes. And then you've got Esh, who prevailed over Contern, 76-70. And our man in the stand, Gavin Love, his team, Edsela Rettlebrook, triumphed over Mama by 87 points to 79. I'll be chatting to Billy McDaniel, who plays for Mama, to uh, to see what's been going on there. Now, not just to uh, mention the men's league, we've also got the women's league from the weekend, and Muzel Pikes went down fairly convincingly to Amical Steinzel by 26 points, 97 to 21. Hushtart bring up brought up the ton against, uh, sorry, Grenjvall brought up the ton against Le, uh, Viltz, 100 points to 81, and then T71 beat Contern, 61 to 34. Quite low score. You don't see a 34 these yeah. days in basketball, do you? Bad day at the office. And 
Esh absolutely thumped Celebra, uh, 103 points to 70. I've got here on the table that Grenvold and Sparta are on five win streak, at least. Mm. So they're doing well for themselves. Yeah, winning is a habit these days, isn't it? Now, uh, Anton, you've got a few rugby results there for us. I know that Wolfolange prevailed. They've been out of action for a long time, had a nightmare with training pitches as well. They prevailed over the Cologne second team, 41 points to Five, all the internationals did, yeah. back in action there. What else you got for us, boss? So there was some uh, CSC played their under-18s loss to Antwerp, uh, 38-0 in a really tough game. Um, but they, they actually finished with 13 players on the pitch, I think, as well, because they're struggling for numbers, the under-18s in the minute. They've, they've got three under-16s players, which helped them out as well. So it was a young side, it was an undermanned side, but they, um, like always, they gave it a go, um, so they, they can be proud of that. Um, RCL's under-18s also um, had a game, they lost away to Wafor, a uh, tough loss, 45-9. to nine. Uh, Then the for the seniors for RCL, RCL Blues uh, lost 45-12 uh, to 12 against Stuttgart, unfortunately. Um, I'm sure they'll bounce back from that. And a big win for RCL Royals. They won against Bafo. Um I've been told 50-something to five. So, um, yeah, they must have been buzzing with that win. Um, good win for, from the RCL Royals. Apparently, as well, a couple of the Esh boys were involved, which is nice to see. Um, oh, from Le Foray. Yeah. Oh, very good. Yeah, so that, that was good to see as well. Um, I think that wraps it up for the rugby. Not the greatest weekend, but some some big wins in there, so it's nice to see. And it's good to see the Ash boys involved. Yeah, absolutely. They're obviously doing a uh, you know good thing. It's never easy getting going. Um, it's almost just as hard, you know, keeping it going once you do get going. Um, Anton, we uh, said at the start of the show we would uh, dive into the world of match fixing. You know, it's something that never goes away. As I've said before, there is actually, if you go on Crick Info, there is a page just for match fixing on the... Uh, on the on their website, so it's obviously happens a lot more so in uh, more so in um, in cricket. But um, I guess the one that sort of jumps to mind, and obviously your your link to Wales is the Rob Howley thing. Now, whilst it isn't actually fixing, you know, still betting on the outcome of games. It's where not allowed. You're, if you're involved, you're not allowed to do it. Yeah, it's 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 known, but you know, by all accounts, he was betting. Fairly decent amount of money and lost something like four grand over the course of three or four what, what years. Was he, what was he betting? Was he betting on Wales? Was he sometimes betting, he was, was yeah. he betting against yeah. Wales? But sometimes he even did the bets from his like WRU account, you know, his, his email account and stuff. And it's just, it's just we're, we're back to rugby people being stupid. Yeah, exactly. But it's also, I, I mean, I did a bit of digging about it and read the story where basically he got asked by Gats and a few of the guys to come down for a beer to the bar, and they were just like, "Yeah, are you getting on?" And then one of them just went, have you been betting on matches? Really? And he was like, yeah. And Gats was like, I think you're going to have to go home. Yeah. Um, so, you know, pretty, yeah, you just don't hear I mean, about this sort of stuff, do you? But I mean, that's the thing, even, even for us, when we're, when we're playing for Luxembourg, you know, it's not, you know, professional level, but by the, the letter of the law, it's like with doping and stuff, we have to fill out forms that say we're not going to be betting on um, on international sport and stuff like that. Um, whether or not they'd catch you, I'm not sure. But by the letter of the law, you're, you're not you're not really meant to. If you're involved in in the sport, you shouldn't be you shouldn't be betting on it, um, and you're not allowed to give out like team information um, before kickoff and stuff, happened, uh... like team sheets and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I'll, I'm going to wrap myself out. I send my mum the team sheet before kickoff, obviously, but. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, well, a lot of the, you, you, it's, it's obviously got to be released in advance, but I think it's yeah. to pass on information. Yeah. Because the perception is, oh, you could target players or play in a certain way to complement or, or uh, you know, you know, cause some sort of struggle against your opposition. Um, there are, um, you know, there are instances in rugby where that team information, there was one about a guy who used to play for Sale. I can't for the life of me remember his name. And I think his brother was playing for Bristol and the team information was inadvertently passed oh, really? on and they get wind of this and it's like, you know, so you, yeah, why do you put yourself in that position at the end of the day, you know? There's there's definitely a leak in the RFU as well, in the, the England men's, because throughout the warm-up game, so basically since Steve Borthwick has been in charge of, of England, the team sheet leaks before the team sheet comes out every time. Yeah. And it is pretty much, I want to say like nine out of ten times has been spot on, right? Which is very worrying that's basically every week the team sheet just gets released a, a day or two in advance because it means someone someone's speaking to the to the press because I, I watch I watch all the bloody YouTube videos on speculation of teams and there's a guy I watch and he's he's in the in the press he, he works for like talk sport or something and he's like oh this is the the this week's leaked England team and then we get round to Thursday yeah, evening and it's exactly the team it's it's I don't know. There's definitely uh, someone leaking information. I mean, in it's England su- ultimately, it's such a grey area, isn't it? Yeah. There's so many. <coughs> excuse me. There's so many ways you can move off into it, and obviously, if it brings the sport for disrepute, it's wrong. But yeah, like there's a couple of more, I guess, higher profile events. Certainly, in the modern game, the big one in Test cricket was the Pakistani team. Um, there were a lot of them that ultimately they'd agreed to fix specific events in a test match they call it you call it spot fixing mm. so my understanding that is that in a country like india ma- betting on f- matches and fixtures and results is illegal but doing something called spot fixing which is where you can bet on something that happens during the game you know so you could say yeah oh it's gonna be a no ball oh it's gonna be a six or it's gonna be a wide I believe I'm, I'm. I'm not sure. You know how the the legislation is. You can you can do a little bit of digging and find out for me there. Um, but you know the Pakistanis went above and beyond, and there was a big one about playing against England and the no balls and stuff. And they could yeah. they could say when the no balls are going to happen. People bet on this, and they make a lot of money. And a lot of them were banned for for life. You know, and r- rightly so. Yeah. Rightly so. You're in. Look, you you grow up wanting to play at the top level, but ultimately when you 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 break into it, you, you know you have a a responsibility, don't you? You you don't just sign up for the money. It's all the stuff that comes with it as well, you know? Um, sorry, I just remembered a story, I think, because I was in, when I was at uni and one of my sports modules and we were talking about match fixing and stuff like that. And one of the one of the football fans, he, he said that, I think in one of the lower leagues in English football or Welsh football, I'm not sure, basically they found out that the uh, a betting website had... Uh, added their league which was like like several tiers below professional level football they'd added it to the, the the betting website so they could bet on the games so 
basically the players found out and the, the fans and the coaches found out and they ended up trying to like swindle loads of money out of this betting company and it lasted about a week or two until the betting company figured out what was going on as you can imagine they were losing a lot of money and they had to stop it but that's so funny just imagine you like if we rocked up to Cessange and we, there was massive like 50 grand bets on the game that would be outrageous wouldn't it yeah, mate, it's mad. Absolutely mad. Just uh, uh, sort of revert back to spot fixing. So it's an illegal activity in a sport, which is a specific ap- aspect of the game, unrelated to the final result, but upon which a betting market exists. So that's your ability to, you know, bet on instances during the game. There was one I saw that went famous. I think it was, was it the, the Football World Cup in 2018? And I think uh, Tony... Cruz scored that like banging free kick from just outside the box. And I think a guy had like a cumulative bet on and he would have he would have got a cash out of like, you know, hundreds of thousands of euros if Tony Cruz had scored inside the box. But the free kick is literally like just on the line of the edge of the box and he lost it all. That's heartbreaking. And it is it was such a good goal. If you've not seen it, I can't remember who they were playing, but I think they were they were down. Germany was struggling, and then he he absolutely pulled it out of the bag. Unbelievable player. It's uh, it, again, it's a funny one because ultimately gambling's a mugs game, isn't it? Because you're yeah. going to lose more often than you win. But you know, people can still make a lot of uh, money from it. A uh, good one here was the there was in Italian football. They called it the Calciopoli scandal, which is arguably the biggest match fixing scandal in football history. And it was called, I think I'm saying it right, Calciopoli, which actually means football gate in Italian, um, and involved top Italian clubs who conspired to influence the appointment of officials to their respective matches. Teams included Juventus, AC Milan, Lazio and Fiorentina. Uh, Fiori, uh, Fiorentina were, uh, were punished in relation to being relegated to Serie B. AC Milan received a 15-point reduction and the UEFA Champions League ban. Uh, meanwhile, Juventus were stripped of their two league titles. Juventus have been in the... Uh, They've had it before. Why? You know, weren't they relegated? What was that for? Was that for were the they? same thing? Um, well, they were that. sent down for cheating and then, well, I assume, came back up fairly swiftly. Um, uh, it, Did they pull a Saracens? Yeah, they were relegated for, yeah, the match-fixing thing. That's mental, isn't it? When was that? 2006. Fairly recent. Yeah. But that's um, that's absolutely mental. Um, I think it's the nature of how professional sports gone. You know, ultimately teams are going to see if they can cut corners and try and um, you know try and obviously get to the top. But unfortunately, this stuff always comes out as you say through a leak or such. You know, yeah. what was the other one you were saying about the Barcelona one? You uh... yeah. So what is the Barcelona ref scandal? So um, Barcelona's participation in the Champions League um, was uh, at risk due to uh, Caso. Negrera scandal where the club allegedly paid 7.3 million euros from 2001-2018 to Jose Maria Enrique Negrera company former vice president of Spain's football refereeing committee basically just paying the refs yeah for 17 years that is outrageous um, has that but, been? Uh, has, so has yeah, that, has so that been nipped in the bud, or is this more current affairs now? Yeah. So what the the um, it said uh, recently, well, recently in July, UEFA confirmed that Barcelona's spot in the next Champions League, um, but mentioned that 
a potential reopening of the investigation regarding the seven million paid to referees uh, if new evidence surfaced. So by the sounds that they've not got enough evidence, but I mean, like there's no smoke without fire. Do you know what I mean? Like it, they've it seems very. And if you're any other club, and this is this is Champions League, like this is you know big big games. If you're any of the the clubs that have played them in that time, which is basically every club. You're fuming, surely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's... I mean, and then if you look back at games that seemed a bit dubious, now you're starting to think, well, we've got a game here where the ref looks like he's paid. We've got evidence, well, some evidence that this club has been paying refs. I mean, that's that's crazy. Um, and, I, I mean, by the looks of it, they seem to have got away with it, or for, for now, at least, anyway. What um, is this one about the, the Man City one as well? The breaches, because uh, I know Pep Guardiola's obviously been been teed up about um, would he stay on, um, saying he wouldn't re uh, re-sign if they were relegated to League One, um, which you know potentially are what the they're arguing could happen. They'd be relegated to League One. Yeah, that's what they're saying. Um, yeah, because with all these financial irregularities and stuff, um, you know. But again, it's, what, 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 so what, what is it they've done? They've and they, something like so they're accused of dozens of breaches, inclu- including providing misleading information about his finances over a nine-year period from 2009 to 2018, when it signed a slew of world's best players like Sergio Aguero and Kevin De Bruyne. Um, yeah, it's a four-year investigation. So um, yeah, it's it's absolutely mad. It, it really goes into the you know, the crux of how they all work. I mean, you hear the stuff about the surrounded Saracens. I'd be surprised if there's not football clubs doing the same thing about trying to get way of... But that's the thing, I'm not sure. How does it work in in football? So how do you, like, what what, what rules are there in place financially? Obviously, I know in rugby they've got salary caps and stuff like that, but I'm not really sure what they're allowed and not allowed to do in football when it comes to paying players. Because what what I see in football Instagram is just you can pay them as much as you want as long as you've got the money, basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, uh, you look at that's the thing. You look at Man City squad, and it is outrageous. Like they have like pretty much two Premier League quality teams. We look even look at their, their facilities squad. and stuff. We all see oh, behind yeah. the scenes stuff about the thing, and it's like, don't. And this is no disrespect from you know Pep Guardiola and what he's doing there, but you've got a limited pot of money, you know. Just, yeah. You know, and you talk about being the greatest manager of all time, but again, I, I mean, I don't know enough about football to to comment on that, but. It's 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 quite interesting, you know. Can you do something like Alex Ferguson did and build something up over 10, 15 years and stuff yeah. like that? That's far more. Use the kids. Far more, far far more impressive, you know. But uh, yeah, I think it's, it's a funny thing with Manchester United as well. Will they ever get back to where they were? You know. I mean, uh, they they will eventually. It just goes. It's a bit. It's, things, it's a it's a big club, and if people okay, you can argue based on recent years. You might argue they're not. A, they're a big club as as much as obviously it's coming from someone who's a fan of Man U and whatnot. But look, they the the fan base they've got, the money they've got, the pedigree they've got, the history they've got. They will. They'll probably come back eventually, whether that's in five years or whether that's in fifty years. I assume. Um, it, it it will happen. Like I say, I don't know, know enough about football clearly, but I would I would think that um, you know, man, you will will bounce back at some point. Um, it'd be a coach, or it'd be a group of players, or it'd be it'd be something. But um, I have faith. 
surely. Keep the faith, it, though. Can't be any more pain. <laughs> yeah, they, I think they won against Everton, actually. 3 The weekend. Have to check that out. Uh, but yeah, back to the sort of the uh, the scandal around professional sport. I think it's just it's one of those things, isn't it? There's gonna there's always gonna be stuff that's gonna gonna keep rearing its head. It's ultimately if people can make a quick buck or an easy money. But again, you don't know people's circumstances and stuff. And it's whilst we can sit here and you know criticize young players or, or guys who aren't from a, a particularly affluent background or such. You know, if you get, as I would say. Does everybody have a price when it comes to something like this? You know, it's it's enticing, you know, if you've grown up on the streets and all of a sudden someone puts a package in front of you for a thousand euros, 10,000 euros, 100,000, million euros, 10,000, you know, 10 million euros, 100,000, you know, do you know what I mean? It just goes up and up and up and then it becomes a fairly, fairly crazy, crazy amount of money, doesn't it? Uh, I, I, it reminds me of, so they showed, um, they showed us a university because I did like a, uh, ethics sport ethics module and they they showed us sort of videos of athletes that have been caught doping or cheating or whatever and um like for the most part it just sort of like obviously this is different to like uh, slightly different to what we're talking about but from for the most part it looked almost like sort of like grooming you take someone who's um naive, take a, a, take naive. naive or poor or in in a, a desperate and uh, you take advantage of them, basically, right? Whether that's, you know, um, oh, I need you to do this in this game for me, or I think it was a tennis player that basically, yeah, it was match-fixing. It was a tennis player who was caught match-fixing. He needed money, right? He came from a poor background. He got to a decent level in tennis, professional level of tennis, and he was approached by someone on the internet saying, look, um, I'm going to bet a large amount of money on this game. I need you to lose. I will give you 50% of the money, yada, yada, yada. Basically, they take they take advantage of people, right? Not all the time, but from from the, the, the few videos that we, we saw from the documentary, it basically looked like taking advantage of, of athletes, whether that's through getting them to dope so that they can get to the level they want to be at or whether that's getting money through uh, match fixing. Um, but yeah, it's... Um, it's definitely like you say. Everyone has their price, I guess. Uh, just interesting talking off that. I mean, obviously, the I guess the the greatest show is the uh, you know the Olympics, and um, so a lot of countries will incentivize the money that you would get as a result of picking up a gold medal or a silver medal or a, a bronze medal at the Olympics. Now, obviously, those countries who maybe don't have um you know maybe don't have as great a chance would obviously offer more money to try and win but what sort of amounts do you think you're being offered here what for for winning medals yeah it'd, it'd be thousands wouldn't it yeah it is thousands i mean um actually great britain you don't get any bonuses if you um win an, an a medal but you do get an annual stipend of $38,339. If you are from Australia, it's fifteen, eleven, and seven thousand dollars. Azerbaijan, it's a what? They, they, they just give that to the player. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, in, in in Azerbaijan, it's two hundred and thirty-five thousand dollars if you can win a gold medal. When was the last time they won a gold medal? Uh, I couldn't tell you. I'd have to, I'd have to look up and see what they won. Wait, so... In, in Hong Kong. This is from their federation, though, yeah, right? $642,500 if you win a gold medal. Do the Olympics give any um, 
rewards mm. out, or is it just okay. is it just the federations on their own? It, they decide it's on, it's on their own. I think. Do you get? But money? surely they they there's got to be some sort of financial uh, incentive as well I mean, to goes, keep it as competitive as possible. You know, um, you, that goes back to the Olympic Charter, the original, which was where amateurs yeah. would compete. So you weren't allowed to take money. Um, the Olympic, the IOC doesn't award Olympic medalists with prize money for competing, but they are able to win bonuses for each medal from their, you know, oh, their right, governing so, yeah. body and stuff. Okay. Um, you know, obviously, if you're winning, if you win a team sport, split up between your teammates and such. Um, very interesting. Again, you can really scratch. You're only scratching the but, surface of that side of stuff, but it was just interesting. Um, I was sort of thinking as you know, when you you um, you your coaches might target players or athletes who are more vulnerable, and so they might have to be as I said, they're more vulnerable. So you know, because if they can get them to the top, do they make more money off them? Do you know what I mean? It's almost like using the athletes for yeah. for that purpose. You know. I mean that's the thing. Like we're, we're talking about cash prizes for medals here, but that's just like the the, the one or two percent of what that. If you win a gold medal, the sponsorship and the and the the attention, uh, social media attention, and things like doors that will open up for you, it will make you an incredible amount of money, right? So that's why it's such a big deal whether you know an athlete dopes and and stop someone from taking a medal because you're cheating or there's match fixing or whatever because it's not you're not just taking the the reward of winning away from someone you're you're taking potential sponsors you're taking potential you know millions of um uh, supporters and, and followers and whatnot so it is really and and vice versa as well it people who get caught doping or match fixing they are usually publicly shamed uh, especially if they're in the limelight to begin with, and then everything they they've got through cheating, they lose. They lose their sponsors. They lose their uh, ties with their federation. They basically get hung out to dry. Which you know you can decide whether or not it's fair or not. But um, yeah, it's it's more than just cash prize for for a medal. There's a, there's a lot you know going on uh, around winning and losing, and that's why there's probably so much match fi- match fixing and so much um, cheating and stuff like that. It's because there's there's so much riding on it for not just the player but the coaches the you know the federations uh, the parents the I mean you think how, how many parents are pushing their kids to to do well it's good 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 uh, do, uh, series for, or not series good film for you to watch it's called Trophy Kids on Netflix I think I've seen bits and bobs of it and it's basically how so the parents golf, golf yeah girl, yeah yeah the parents really push we watched it in uh, one of our modules as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So again, really interesting how the parents push them from a young age and stuff. And it's just, I mean, ultimately, unfortunately, these days, a lot of parents see that as their almost live their ultimately failed sporting careers through their kids, you know, and really, really push them really, you know, whereas, you know, it sounds a bit cliche, but the goal with your kids when you have the mant on is to get them playing sport for the, for their entire lives you know that's far more beneficial than to them than to forcing them so much just to get into college or university and stuff that they cheat ultimately it's also it's a fine line though as well because um like i say a lot of people we say you know would be like oh i'm very against parents forcing their kids to do stuff forcing their kids to to play sport and compete and whatnot but at the same time i'm I know firsthand that when I was playing rugby, I played for a few years when I was younger and then it got to a point where I was doing a couple other sports and 
you know, I was fed up of going on a muddy pitch in the winter and my friends stopped playing. But my mum said, no, I still keep keep up your rugby, keep playing, taking me to training. There was times where I'd be crying in the car on the way to training because I didn't want to go and I was having a tantrum and a sulk. My mum was like, no, no, you're going to go. You're going to enjoy yourself when you're there. And she was always right. I did have fun. Every time I was there, I had fun. But it was more the thought of getting there and, you know, getting home late and being in the, in the cold and whatnot. But like I say, I'm forever grateful that I was brought down regardless of whatever silly whinge and a whine I wanted to have in the car because yeah okay she wasn't forcing me to you know go and win a World Cup but she she wanted me to go and continue go and continue uh playing and and uh participate which is really good and and I mean I'm, I'm glad she did it to be honest well there you go you've heard it from the horse's mouth that is show number 150 domestic theme but also diving into some of the more current affairs currently going on in the world of sport from match fixing to pretty much we'll talk about anything on here if you've not heard your sport or you'd like us to get some more athletes from your sport on then please do get in touch uh, you can hit us up on Facebook Instagram uh, and then also through LinkedIn and you can also contact myself Anton or Nathan about coming on the show please do so we've got a special video coming out for our uh, christmas special so watch out for that um if it's your first time listening in uh, keep doing so uh, we're always looking for interaction as well so uh, do get in touch as always we give a huge shout out to the army of volunteers out there who make our sporting world tick whether it's from running kids around coaching kids in the morning or you know washing kit whatever you're doing to keep your kids or those kids active in sport please keep doing it as always you can check out the rest of the team tomorrow from 6 a.m you've got the sam steen show you've got steven steps low at 12 and then melissa dalton with the home stretch don't forget about dave burrows and his db3 sessions and also sarah tap with the hangover session anton it's always a pleasure never a chore until next week it's chur chur, chur.